Amen. Amen. Let's give God a praise, City Church. So awesome to see each and every one of you here. We are going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to keep you standing for just like three minutes. Uh, we're going to dive right in to our message, and I want to I want to preview it for you uh, for, for just a second. We're kicking off a brand new series called How to Be Brave. Everybody say brave. Man, we, we're not just talking about the big bravery like the things we see in Scripture. We're talking about the, the everyday opportunities for bravery, where God speaks to our heart, where God is leading us to something, and we got a chance to step forward or to shrink back. Man, I believe over the next few weeks, we're going to help you to step forward into the best things that God has. What we're going to do is we're going to take some verses from Philippians, uh, particularly chapter 4 in Philippians each day. Today, we're going to start out with two verses, and then we're also going to to kind of push them together with, with a story from Scripture which speaks to exactly what the Apostle Paul is writing about. Today I want to talk to you about being anxious for nothing. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I love this verse. I want to read it to you today in the New King James because when I interned in Oklahoma, uh, that was the translation that we used, and I actually did some online devotionals on this chapter, so it's, it's pretty dear to my heart, and I love it in this translation. Philippians 4, 6 in the New King James says, be anxious for nothing. How many of you ace in that one? And I got that one, God. I'm anxious for nothing. My, I think I saw like one hand. You're awesome. The rest of us, I got work to do. Got some work to do. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What is supplication? Supplication is, is probably the most common prayer in America anyway. It's where we're asking God to supply. It's where we're going to God and saying, God, this is what I need. So, so by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, or let your requests be known to God. But, but I skipped two words there that are really important. With thanksgiving. You see, what I think the Apostle Paul is, is suggesting to us is that our anxiety is inversely related to our thankfulness. I, I, I think that we can trust God a lot better for providing in this situation when I'm thankful for the time he provided before. When I'm reflecting on what he's done, when I'm taking time to say, you know what, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. But, but notice this slide ends with dot, dot, dot. You see, the period doesn't end there. It's actually a comma. So let's go to verse 7. We're going to read this all together. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God. How many can use some peace of God in your life? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, I've found over the last, I don't know, four, five, six months that I keep on praying this verse over people. People come to me and, and ask for, for different things that are going on. Hey, can you pray for this? Can you pray for my family in this? And I, and I keep speaking peace that passes understanding. God, give them the peace that passes understanding. And, and, and in other words, what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul is he has a peace available to his people that doesn't make sense. That from the outside that people look at you and they're like, man, you're going through a storm. Man, you've you're, you got an attack. You've got a, a situation. How are you walking in so much peace? And your answer is, I don't even know. I don't even know, right? It don't even make sense. It's peace that surpasses my understanding. It doesn't compute up here, but I've got it right here. That's the kind of peace I want. That's the kind of peace God wants for his people. So a peace that passes all understanding will do what? Will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. If you know the context of this, the Apostle Paul is writing to, to the church in Philippi, and he's writing from prison. So, so Paul is not just speaking hypothetically. He's not just telling you, hey, maybe one day as you get really close to God, you'll get to a place where you can be anxious 
for nothing. He's saying in the midst of the greatest opportunity of anxiety in my life, I'm in prison. I've been beaten. I've been flogged. I've been whipped. I might die for this. In fact, eventually he would. He didn't know. I may face the death penalty for telling people the gospel. And in the midst of this, I have a peace that passes all understanding. And then he says, let that peace, and he's like, what, what can I compare it to? Man, what is that peace like? And, and he looks around, and you can just imagine, and he sees a guard stationed at the door, making sure nobody gets in and that he can't get out. And he said, let the peace of God guard your hearts and your minds. You see, I think a lot of the struggles, a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the stuff that keeps us from walking in the boldness and the bravery God has for us is right here. And he says, let the peace of God guard your hearts and guard your minds through Christ Jesus. How many of you say, I could sign up for some Philippians 4-7 in my life? I, I can have some of that peace. I want to see a little bit more of that in my life. Well, here's what I believe. I believe that we get the 4-7 peace when, you get, when we get the 4-6. When we begin to understand how to be anxious about Nothing. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we kick off this series. Might not be what you were expecting as you came in for a series on bravery, but I think this is intimately connected to us stepping out in faith, is learning to be anxious about nothing. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn and high-five three people, tell them to be anxious about nothing, and then you can grab a seat. going to title this message today, Brave the Waves, and then in parentheses, we're going to call it Anxious About Nothing. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Troy, and I'm the pastor here, and on behalf of our team, we are so thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. If it's your first time with us, if you would, take a minute, fill out that connection card that's in your seat, drop that in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of service, and we just want to send you a letter, and thank you for worshiping with us today. Talking today about some anxiety. I had some different anxieties when I was a kid. Maybe you can relate to some of these. Maybe you can't. But uh, when I was young, like really young, I got freaked out by fireworks. Uh, the 4th of July, there would always be some huge fireworks shows in Seattle where I grew up. And, and when I was two or three years old, my parents talked about this pretty much every year at the 4th of July. Oh, man, you were so scared. And it's like, thanks for bringing that up again. Uh, but, but I would freak out, and I'd scream, and I'd yell. And, and I kind of had, you, you know how, like, there's fireworks on the 4th, and then there's that neighbor who shoots off fireworks for another week, right? So I had, like, PTSD for the next week. Every time I heard, like, a, a you know, a bottle rocket or, or heard, like, a, you know, a firecracker, I, I would freak out. Um, and so my parents always want to remind me about that. I'm like, thanks, Mom and Dad. And, and then there's another story they love to tell. I was actually even younger than that, but this anxiety probably lasted longer. I got over the fireworks thing. I love fireworks now. I look forward to fireworks. But, uh, but when I was really young, I hated clowns. Uh, and, and, and I still don't really like clowns. Uh, my apologies to any clowns in, in, in the house of God today. Uh, not, I don't get it. That's just, I just don't get it. doesn't mean you don't have a good thing. I just don't, it don't make sense to me. Um, so when, when I was like one and a half, we went to a parade. I think it was actually a 4th of July parade. And, uh, and, and there was, you know, all these floats coming by or whatever. Obviously, I don't remember this, but my parents tell the story all the time. And, and so I'm standing there. My dad's holding me, and a clown comes up. 
And he's thinking, you know, he's a little kid. I'm going to make him laugh or whatever. So I immediately start screaming, like, get away from me, like, you know, stranger danger or something. I don't know. Um, I'm freaking out at this clown. And so he's going to try and make and cheer me up. He's on a mission, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through to this kid. So he breaks out the little balloon animals, and he starts making a balloon dog or balloon cat or balloon whatever, uh, and try, thinks that's going to fix it, and that doesn't fix it at all. I scream in his face. And so finally, as the story goes, I, I, he, he tried everything that he knew, and he finally gave up, and he goes, okay, 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 I'll leave. I'm sorry. So I, like, made this clown, like, question his life choices uh, because I had some anxiety when it comes to clowns. My son uh, is two and a half years old, and he's very cautious. Uh, he, he's hesitant about trying new things anytime we take him to the playground. It takes him a little while to get warmed up before he'll go down a slide. Now that he's done it, he's, he's a little further along, but riding a train, like a little kid's train around, or riding a pony, like all that stuff, he, he's had some, some moments where I'm not so sure about this, Dad. But the, the worst I've ever seen him scared um, was actually right here in the front row at City Church. We had a Kid City movie night a, a few weeks ago, and uh, Allie and the Kid City team showed the Trolls movie. And if you're not familiar with it, I, I, I wasn't. But the, the storyline basically is the trolls are like the cute little cuddly heroes of the movie, um, and there's these monsters who like to eat trolls. They think they're delicious. Um, and so the, the trolls, like, go on the run, and they're hiding out from these monsters, and, and finally one of the monsters finds them. And in the scene where this one monster finds the, the trolls um, – they, he's, they start grabbing the trolls and eating the trolls, and the trolls are all running and screaming, and it's like chaos. And, uh, and my son just starts screaming. <sighs> and I'm like, Judy, it's okay, it's okay. And, and, and so I don't know, you know, he doesn't have a, a ton of vocabulary yet, so I, I still don't know, like, was he scared by the monster? Or was he just, like, having empathy for the trolls? Because um, we, we see a lot of empathy in him. He's been cursed with his father's empathy, we think. And, and so he, we see that in him. So I think he was just, like, really feeling their pain and, like, feeling their fear. Um, so I actually had to leave the Kid City movie night because my kid was, was afraid of this monster. And, and you probably had some kind of anxiety as a child that you can look back on. My daughter, on the other hand, is just a little bit older, older than one. And she is fearless. Uh, I'm, I'm sure she'll develop a fear at some point in time, but she ain't got there yet. And, and so that's actually scary on the other side because we got to watch out for everything for her because she ain't watching out for anything because she is not scared. She is tough. God knew she was going to have an older brother. Um, that girl, she, she's crazy. She's awesome. Uh, but, but we all have these anxieties as kids, right? And I think all of God's children, even as adults, have some anxieties. I think that's why the Apostle Paul felt, I need to address this. In his letter to the Philippians, I think that's why he felt like, you know what, I'm going to speak to these anxieties. And, and, and I think that so many of us have a hard time even wrapping our, our mind around Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious about nothing? How's that even possible, Paul? Man, that, that, that's just preacher talk. Man, have you seen the Dow Jones this week? Have you seen what's going on between the U.S. and Russia? We might be going into World War III. Man, and we can go through all this list. Have you seen my bank account, Paul? Have you seen what's going on? Have you seen my mother-in-law? Like, we got all these reasons. I got some stuff. I got some anxiety in my life, Paul. How can you tell me to be anxious about nothing? And, and, and we start off our day, and we're watching, like, Fox News or CNN or whatever news channel it is, and we got all this stuff wrong with the world, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more later on in the series, but I think the 24-hour news channels are, are one of the worst things that ever happened to our mental state. 
because we can just sit there and zone in on all the problems and then get very depressed and very discouraged very quickly about the world. And in the midst of this, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. The Greek word for anxiety that he uses is merimneo. Merimneo, I think it should be on the screen for you. And I, I remember merimneo because it sounds like marinate. And I, and I feel like that's kind of what it is, right? Isn't that what anxiety is? It's, it's soaking in our stress. It's soaking in, in our struggle. It's just letting that stuff marinate on the brain, letting it marimneo on the brain. And, and, and Paul says, don't marimneo on that stuff. Be anxious for nothing. And so here's what I don't think he's saying. I don't think he's saying don't be concerned about anything. I think there's a distinction between concern and about anxiety. Um, and here's why I believe that, because earlier in this same letter in Philippians chapter 2, he uses Merimneo again, but he uses it in a positive context. He says about Timothy, uh, who, who the book Timothy was written to, his, his apprentice, his understudy, this young pastor. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And that word translated genuine concern in Philippians 2 is Merimneo. It's the same word translated anxiety or anxious in Philippians 4. So I, I think there's a distinction between genuine concern and anxiety. And, and, and I think wisdom will help us to discern the difference. I, I think sometimes there's things we need to be genuinely concerned about, but they don't necessarily need to turn into anxiety. And honestly, I think it's really our approach to them that, that distinguishes the difference. If we've got genuine concern about something, we're, we're going to handle it in strength. We're going to handle it in faith. We're going to handle it in to use the word of this series. We're going to be brave through that situation. You know what, God, there's a tr there's problem here. There's a struggle here. There's a situation here. Help me to push through this. God, I'm believing I'm going to get through this. I'm trusting you that you've got a plan for this. We're going to face that thing in strength. But when it's anxiety, that's when we're, we're sitting back and thinking of all the ways it's going to go wrong. Listing out every possible situation and every possible way that this thing is going to fall apart in our life. Paul says, that's not what God has for you. Be anxious for nothing. Be genuinely concerned about people. Be genuinely concerned for their welfare, but be anxious for nothing. I, I was a, a child of the 90s, right? That was my teenage years. That's when I, when I think of my growing up, that's mostly what I think on is the 90s. And so pretty much everything that I grew up with is not cool anymore, right? So, so the styles that I was into aren't cool. The music that we listened to aren't cool. The words that we said aren't cool. So I'm going to give you a phrase that I grew up saying, knowing full well this is not cool anymore. I'm not trying to be cool by saying this, but I, but I think it's going to encourage you, and I think it's going to help you despite the fact that it's not cool. So here's what we used to say back in the 90s. We used to say, it's nothing but a thing. Anybody else said, it's nothing but a thing? I'm the only one. Nobody wants to admit it. I got through it. Man, thank you. Thank you. Somebody identify with me. Nothing but a thing, right? Or, or we even used to say it this way. You say, it ain't nothing but a thing. So that's, that's real hood grammar right there. That, that's when you just completely jacked it up. You put the double negative in there and the ain't. Uh, it ain't nothing but a thing. So we won't go that far. I'm not going to tell you to say that. We'll, we'll just settle on a more comfortable version. We'll say it's nothing but a thing. But, but here's what I want you to say this week. Here's what I want to empower you in it, it is, man, so much of our anxiety comes about because of things. And when we get anxious about a thing, Paul says be anxious about nothing, but you can break that word nothing up. Be anxious about no thing. And I want to show you in the book of Romans some things that, that Paul speaks to earlier in his ministry. Romans 8.31, he says, what then shall we say in response to these 
things. You guys are with me. Stay with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? So in response to the things that make you anxious, what's my response? If God is for me, who can be against me? That's something to speak over your life. You're going to get some bravery. Man, you're going to walk in a little less anxiety. You begin to believe that. You may know it, but it's different between knowing it and walking in it. You know what? If God is for me, who can be against me? I'm not going to let these things hold me back. The next verse, Romans 8.32, says, He who did not spare his own son, speaking of what we celebrated last week, right? Easter, the death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Why are you stressing about things? Well, God's promised, I will graciously give you all things. If you haven't got that thing, it's probably because he doesn't think you need that thing. Because he's going to graciously give you all things that you need. So let's not be anxious about these things. What kind of things are you talking about, Paul? We'll look in Romans 8, 37. He says, no, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says it again, all these things. That's another verse speak over your life. I am more than a conqueror. I'm going to this job interview. I am more than a conqueror. I'm, I'm getting up and going to face this meeting with my boss. I am more than a conqueror. I got to go home and talk to my spouse. I am more than a conqueror. Just kidding. Maybe not the right time to quote that one. But, but we're more than conquerors in Jesus, right? And then what kind of things are you talking about, Paul? He tells us the next verse, Romans 8, 38. He says, for I am convinced... That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We're talking about not getting stressed over some little things like your car doesn't start on Monday. Paul goes to all the big stuff. He said, I'm not going to be having, I'm not going to have anxiety about life, about death about angels, about demons. I'm not going to worry about the work that the enemy's up to in my life. Doesn't mean I'm not going to battle with it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go to war with them, but I'm not going to let it stress me out because I know that I'm more than a conqueror. All these things. And we get bogged down in so many of these little things. So here's what I want you to say, man. When the, when the car doesn't start, Monday morning or, or, or when, man, traffic is bad Thursday or whatever it is that sets off your anxiety, whatever it is that, that causes you to lose sleep at night, here's what I want you to speak to that. I want you to speak this out this week. Say it. It's nothing but a thing. It's nothing but a thing. And my God has got this under control. My God is greater than this thing. And I, I know that may sound funny and that may seem ridiculous to you, uh, but if you'll do it this week, you're going to have some victory over some anxiety in a way that maybe you've never seen before in your life I'm anxious for nothing would you just confess that out loud would you say I'm anxious for nothing wow what a great amazing place for us to be anxious for nothing but a great goal a great thing for us to strive for a great place for for God to bring us but I think it's also an unfortunate statement of reality as well isn't it normally play out this way in your life that you're anxious about nothing not you're not anxious about anything but the things that you're anxious about actually become nothing here's what happened in our life this week uh, Friday I got a phone call from my mom um, she had just gotten a phone call from uh, Winston-Salem which is a couple hours away from where they live in North Carolina and my uncle who lives in Winston had been rushed to the hospital the 
uh, had some people in his apartment complex who had gotten really worried about him. They hadn't seen him in a while, hadn't been responsive. So, so they got the authorities to come in, and basically, long story short, he hasn't been eating, hasn't been taking care of himself at all. He's really in kind of a d- dark place of depression. So they rushed him to the hospital. So this apartment manager told my mom on Friday, she said, you need to get up here today. And mom said, well, what do you mean I need to get up there today? Are you telling me that if I don't make it today, I'm not going to see him? And she said, I, I, I don't want to say that over the phone, but you need to get here today. Um, and unfortunately, my mom couldn't go uh, because my dad was out of town for another medical situation, and, and my mom doesn't drive on interstates, and so she could not go Friday. She could not go until Saturday. And so Friday when I spoke to her on the phone, she has some anxiety, right, some understandable anxiety, some anxiety that all of us can identify with. And, and she started talking about Rod, and she's like, man, Rod, my brother, he's, he's the only one of my immediate family that I have left. Both of her parents have passed away. Her other brother has passed away. She's like, he's my only connection to my childhood. I'm, I'm just not ready to lose him. And then she started speaking about him in the past tense. Rod was always so good to me. Rod was this and Rod was that. And it was like she was already like, like bracing herself for him to die and, and, and just beaten up with this anxiety. And so then I went home and, and, and we started talking in our family, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it to a funeral? What do we have to move around in our schedule? You know, what, where we got to go? What do we got to do to make this work financially? So, so we're making all these plans, and, and here's what happens. Yesterday, my parents get to drive up to Winston-Salem to go see Rod in the hospital, and here's what they found out. They found out that mentally he's, he's in a pretty dark place, and we, he needs some prayer, and, and, and God's going to have to do something. Physically, he's great. His vital signs are awesome. Like, he is not on his deathbed. He is not dying. He's not, like, there's no funeral coming. And, and so all that anxiety that my mom had Friday night, all that anxiety we had trying to plan out a trip, all that stuff was nothing. And so often we are anxious for nothing, aren't we? But Joyce Meyer puts it this way, and I love the way that she says this. She says that worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. Can't, can't we identify with that? that the, so much of the stuff that we worry about, so much of the stuff that stresses us out, so much of the anxiety that beats us down, we don't ever even have that problem. And we just spent so much of our life on something that ended up being nothing. I, I told you we'd lead a, read a little bit from Philippians and then turn to a story that, that illustrates what Paul's talking about. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 starts out with Jesus in, in a teaching setting, and, and Jesus is, is talking about the, the parable of the sower and how there's seed that falls on, on different places, and some of it falls on good soil, and some of it falls on hard soil, some of it falls among weeds, and some of it's carried off by birds, and, and all these different kinds of soil. And just a little bit later on, he, he tells a couple more parables, he tells the parable of the mustard seed, and, and the throngs are around him, and so he, he speaks to his disciples, he's like, hey, Peter, we... Let's dip out. Let's go back to the other side of the lake. And so we'll pick up the story in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So Jesus is getting his Adele on. Hello. Just kidding. I won't do that to you. Uh, But he's talking about the other side, right? Verse 36 says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. What's interesting here is Mark was a disciple of Peter, uh, and, and so Bible scholars tell us that, that Mark's account in the gospel was basically him just writing down what he talked to Peter about. 
Peter was telling him all this stuff and teaching him, here's what I saw Jesus do, and here's what Jesus did. And so he's recording for us Peter's perspective on Jesus. And what's unique about the Gospel of Mark, if, if you're familiar, Mark's the shortest of the Gospels, and it's by far the most action-packed. So Mark doesn't spend a lot of time talking about things Jesus said, where in contrast to the book of John, man talks so much about things Jesus said, just chapter after chapter of theology and, and Jesus' teaching. Mark's not concerned so much with Jesus' teaching. You see Peter's personality in it. So when Peter's talking about Jesus, Peter's not really talking about, here's all the stuff Jesus said. What's Peter? Peter's a man of action. So what's he going to tell you about? This is what Jesus did. So he's speaking to Jesus' action. Here's how it went down. It moves quickly, and it's action-packed, and it's exciting in the book of Mark. And so uh, they're on the Sea of Galilee, verse 40, 37. It says, a furious squall came up. The Sea of Galilee is, is surrounded by mountains on every side. It sits in a little basin. And so what would happen and, and still happens is, is when a cold wind would come through, it would strike up just, just a crazy storm because the way that it, it would swirl in between these mountains. And the lake is, is famous even still for some, some wild storms. And so they're out on this lake that they know is dangerous. They're out in this place where they, where they know some, some bad storms can come up. And sure enough, a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I love Jesus. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of this thing that, that they think is life-threatening, Jesus is knocked out, taking a nap. All under control. You know what Jesus is doing? He's living out Philippians 4, 6. Jesus is anxious about nothing. He's not going to let this storm get him down. It's not going to destroy his plan and his ministry and his future. He's not worried about that. He's anxious for nothing. And, and so we see here uh, a story reminiscent of another story in Scripture from the Old Testament. You may be familiar in the book of Jonah. Right, So this prophet Jonah is called by God to, to go to Nineveh and tell these awful, evil, wicked people that God is calling them to repent. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. He hates those awful, evil, wicked people. God loved them, but Jonah hated them. And so Jonah refuses, so Jonah goes on the run, and, and he ends up on a ship sailing the opposite direction from Nineveh. And as he's on this ship, what happens? A, a, great, stor a, a great storm arises, a furious squall if you will, comes up. And in Jonah chapter 1, verse 5, it says, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. I think it's so interesting that Jonah slept through a storm, and Jesus slept through a storm, and yet their reasons for sleeping through a storm were completely different. Their reasons for being in the midst of the storm were completely different. Why, why could Jonah sleep through the storm? Because he was suicidal and he didn't care what happened anyway. He's going to tell him just a couple verses down, just throw me into the sea. Just toss me out there to die. Jonah, Jonah was done. He didn't care if a storm rose up. He didn't care what happened. Jesus was in the midst of the storm in peace because he knew, man, God's called me to the other side of this lake. He's going to see me to the other side of this lake. My life is secure. He was able to sleep through it in peace. Jonah was able to sleep through it because he just didn't care. He was done. And, and their circumstances were different, right? Jonah was there because it was a storm of his own causing, right? That's the word the Bible tells us. God, God caused this storm to rise up to, to, to 
divert Jonah's plan. Jonah's running from God, and God's like, no, you're not going to run from me. I'm bringing you back, right? And, and Jesus is in the midst of a storm. Well, why did they get on the boat? Do you guys remember? Jesus called the disciples and said, let's go to the other side. How crazy is that? Jesus sent them into the storm. That'll mess with your theology a little bit, won't it? He sent them into the storm. He, call, he, he, he set them up. For failure, it almost feels like if you read it that way. But that's not what he's doing. He's trying to teach them something. He's after, man, something in their heart that he wants them to understand. But I love the contrast between these, these similar actions but, but completely different circumstances. So Jonah caused a storm of his own, and I believe that a lot of times we cause our own storm, don't we? Man, I think so many of our storms are self-inflicted. Notice I didn't say all. The, the disciples' storm was not self-inflicted. Jesus took them into that storm. So some storms in life are not self-inflicted. Some storms are, are God up to something for us. Some storms are the enemy's attack in our lives, 100%. But, but I also believe there are some self-inflicted storms that we all face. So I want to give you five things, five ways that we create our own storms, five ways we create our own waves in life. The first one, I think, is we create storms with our words, with our words, the, the things that we say. I, I, here's what I believe. The book of James says that, the, the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. I think that the things that I say control my attitude. They control my direction. It, it steers where I'm headed. So the days when I wake up and I'm like, oh, man, it's just another day. What's going to go on, man? When, when I'm speaking some negativity in the morning, most of the time my attitude through the day isn't so hot. Man, wait, man if it ain't one thing, it's another, right? Like if we're speaking negatively over our life, man, our attitude is going to follow our mind is going to follow. Our thoughts are going to follow. I think we create so many choppy situations in our own lives. So choose your words carefully. Choose the things that you speak out carefully. Something, oh, I just got to vent. I just got to tell somebody. You know how they vent in Scripture? You go to God. That's what the book of Psalms is, 150 chapters, 75% of them is David venting to God. God, this is what you said would happen, and this is what's happening. What is going on in my life? You can vent. God, God's created an outlet for you to vent. But he hasn't called for us to go to everybody else in the vent because, man, we're, we're destroying them. We're bringing them down. A lot of times now it turns into gossip because we're venting about our boss, and now we planted a seed about our boss and, and whatever else. And so watch your words. Be careful about your words. So many times our words create waves in our life. Another way they create waves, right, is, is we just respond badly, having a bad day or, or something happens, and we speak out of anger. We speak out of our temper, and now we just created a situation we got to deal with for the next two weeks to, to fix the uh, one sentence that was spoken in the wrong way. So watch your words. Be careful about your words. Another way we create our own waves, create our own storms, is, is having the wrong approach. So, sometimes it's not the things that we go through in life. It's the way that we go through those things. Um, I'll just be transparent with one for me, right? Like, I have always been a late person, like my whole life. I've gotten a whole lot better since I've gotten married. My wife is not a late person, and, and, and she's helping me in great ways, and I'm very grateful for her to the point that I'm almost not even a late person. I'm almost an on-time person, but I'm not an early person, and I'll probably never be an early person. That's just not, not in, my, in my makeup. It's not in my nature. Um, and so here's what will happen for me. I'll, I'll be running three minutes late five minutes late out of the house, and I'll get really frustrated in traffic. Well, this idiot, blah, 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 and that moron, da, da, da. And, and it's not really the circumstances. It's not the traffic. That's the, the, the wave. That's not the storm. The storm is I left the house late, right? 
I didn't get my butt up an extra 10 minutes early and know now I've got some margin that I've built into my day. So even if there is bad traffic, I'm not going to have to be rushed. I'm not going to have to be stressed. And some of you are like nodding like, yeah, you were five minutes late last time you were supposed to meet with me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I feel your judgment right now. Thank you. But our approach can mess us up, right? Like our approach many times can cause us some difficulties. It can cause some stress in our lives, student. Many times it's not that your class is so difficult and so hard and it's, oh, you got that assignment 30 days ago and you wait until the night before it's due and I'm speaking to you this way because that was me, right? Sorry, Luke. Luke's walking out as I talk about it. I love you, Luke. Uh, but uh, he's like, I've got to go work on my project. <laughs> Just kidding, Luke. Uh, so, <laughs> right, it's, it's not that your, hard, your project is so hard or your test is so hard. It's that you waited until the last minute to work on it. It's not that your teacher hates you or your teacher is evil. It's that they're, they're trying to teach you something and you're resistant. And I really thought I'd get some more amens out of our parents. I thought I'd get some more amens out of our parents. Okay, okay, okay. Help me preach this. Um, our approach many times causes a lot of stress and anxiety and storms in our life. Another one is voices. The voices that we listen to, a lot of times we listen to the wrong voices. Maybe it's the people we surround ourselves with who, who are speaking negativity, who, who are gossiping, who, who just don't walk in faith. Maybe they're Christians, but, but despite the fact that they're Christians, man, they're, they're not living a life of faith. They're not trusting God, and their negativity affects us, and, and so we're listening to the wrong voices. Maybe it's the voices in the media. Uh, man, it, I already talked about it, but man... 24 cable news, right? Like if that's the first thing you do in the morning is you get up and you got to check what's going on in the news, you're probably going to have a bad day because it's probably not going to be good news on the news, right? Like most of that stuff is not good. I'm not saying we need to be ignorant of current events or we don't need to know what's going on. But, man, when we feed on that stuff, when we allow our mind to, to marinate on that, man, it's, it's usually not going to end up in a good place. we got to watch the voices, man. So many times we the music that we listen to or the movie, the, the stuff that we put into us, those voices is going to bring us down and discourage us, and we got to be careful about those things. Another one is, is expectations. It's expectations. Sometimes you go out in your life, and the anxiety that you feel is a result of, of the way that you expect, expect other people to treat you. It's, it's not really what they did. It's what you expected them to do that they didn't do. And sometimes we got to be careful about our expectations that we put on people. And sometimes it's our own expectations. Uh, or, or, crea- or, excuse me, it's not our own. It's expectations that we've created. So for me, as, as in addition to being a late person, I can be an overcommitter. Like, I want to say yes to everybody. I'm a people person, right? So, hey, why don't you come to this? Why don't you do this? Yeah, 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 I'll be there. And, and then I double booked because I forgot to write it down or something. And now I've got to go back to somebody. And, and I'm either going to have to leave early or I'm not going to be able to show up at all. And that's stress and it's anxiety. And it's a, it's a storm for me, but it's my own storm. It's not their fault they invited me. Like, that's a good thing, right? Like, I should be grateful for that. But now I got a storm because I got to go back and fix something that I should have been more careful in my words and more careful with the expectations I created. Another one is shame. Man, shame is probably the ultimate storm creator in our life. Here's how it works in in a couple different ways. One is I've got this secret, and I'm terrified of anybody finding out. There's this, this piece of me that I haven't shared with somebody that I'm trying to keep hidden. And, man, what happens if they find out? And you spend so much time stressing and worrying about what if I get caught for this or what if the wrong person knows that I do this? What would they think of me? What would they do to me? And it's so much easier just to bring that stuff from darkness into light and just allow it to be dealt with and fixed and repent of it and move on. But we spend so much fear 
and shame. And, and the other way is just the, the condemnation from the enemy. So there's a difference between conviction and condemnation, right? Conviction is the voice of God that speaks to me and calls me to be better, calls me to, to push beyond where I'm at, to bring me up to the next level. But it doesn't just call me to be better and, and discourage me. He calls me to be better, and then he empowers me to get there. That's the voice of conviction. Conviction is a good thing. We need to be tuned in to the voice of conviction. Condemnation, on the other hand, tells me that where I am is where I will always be, that the things that I've done determine who I will, how I, things will always go for me, and that, that I'm defined by my mistakes. Condemnation speaks to me where I'm at and tells me I'm going to stay there. Conviction speaks to me where I'm at and tells me God's got something better for me. And so we've got to learn to silence that voice of shame, that voice of condemnation that speaks in our lives. And so waves are going to come, right? They're, they're going to come, but let's one way that we can be anxious for nothing is we can reduce the waves that we cause in our own life. We can reduce the, the, the storms that we bring on. But not all storms are brought on by ourselves. This one the disciples are facing isn't. Going back to Mark, first, chapter 4, verse 39. He being Jesus, he got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Jesus spoke three words, and it was done. Isn't that mind-blowing? This thing that the disciples thought was going to end their life. You don't even care if we die. They were, they were ready to go. They thought they were about to meet the Father. It was over for them. You can just imagine John's going up to Peter, and he's like, man, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter, that I said that I wanted to be in the throne next to Jesus. Man, you should be in the throne next to Jesus. And I just want to be on the throne next to you, man. I love you, and I'm so glad I got to be a disciple with you, right? Like they're in that, like, it's over, and I'm just going to spill all my guts out, right? They, they're done. They think it's it. And Jesus gets up. Quiet, be still. Done. And watch the disciples' reaction. You would think they would be like high-fiving and celebrating. They'd be posting it on Facebook Live. You got to see what Jesus can do. Watch, watch what happens with the disciples. Verse 41, it says, they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They thought they were scared of the storm. Now they were scared of the one who could calm the storm. What kind of authority does he have? What kind of power is in the boat with us? Who do we end up following? What do we sign up for? What do we get ourselves into? They were terrified in the moment. This is Paul, you know, Peter's account to Mark. Amazing the power that Jesus had. Amazing the authority he had. And those times in your life when it seems like Jesus is asleep in the stern, as the storm rises up and it seems like like he hasn't woken up and addressed the storm as quickly as you wanted him to or thought he would or needed him to. It can be very easy to let our mind go to the same place that the disciples mind went. And we got to be so careful not to do this, guys. What was their immediate response in the storm? You don't care. Don't you even care about us? I thought you loved me. So often the enemy wants to bring a storm into my life to make me question God's motives and question God's character. And, man, we got to stand firm in the truth that God is good, that he's for us and not against us, that he loves us, that he cares, even when we don't see evidence of it in that moment. You see, storms come, and when they do, a lot of times we we, we start playing it out all the way to the end. 
and we get anxious about nothing. Because eventually the disciples get to the other side, right? Their anxiety proved to be nothing, just as so often ours does. And, but we wonder, why would Jesus send them into the storm to begin with? We celebrate when, when God heals someone of cancer, but we wonder, why did they get cancer to start out? We, we celebrate when a loved one goes to heaven to be with Jesus, but we wonder, why do I have to feel this pain at losing them right now? Right? We, we, we so often go through this where, where we ask God, God, do you even care? And Jesus was annoyed with his disciples as he rebuked them. And I don't think he rebuked them because they woke him up. Because if you read through the gospel, Jesus is interrupted all the time. And he handles it so gracefully, man. Man, he's in the middle of talking, and somebody drops out of the roof. And he's on, he's on his way somewhere, and some lady comes up and grabs a hold of him. And, and everything Jesus did, somebody's interrupting him. He couldn't talk. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't be with his family. He couldn't hang out with his boys. Like somebody was always interrupting Jesus, and he handles it beautifully. I admire him so much because I hate being interrupted. And I'm like, how do you do this? Right? Like, I want to get to that place. I don't think he was upset that they woke him up. I think he was hurt that they questioned him on that. Jesus, do you even care? I think that's what bothered Jesus. I think that's why he rebuked them. And I think when we question his heart for us, I think he'd rebuke us. Say, don't you dare question me. Nobody's ever loved you like Nobody's ever laid their life down for you like I've laid my life down for you. Nobody has the plan and the hope and the future for you like I do. Don't you dare question that I'm up to nothing but good in your life. So Philippians 4, 6, what does it tell us? It says, make our requests known to God. What were the disciples doing by waking him up? They were making a request known to him. Jesus, we need help. Jesus, you, you need to do something. Jesus isn't upset by us like, requesting something, by us making our request known to him. He, he was just upset that they questioned his motives. I don't think that Jesus put them in the midst of the storm to test them. I think he put them in the midst of the storm to teach them something. I think he used the, the Sea of Galilee like a giant whiteboard to illustrate something for them. And he, he wanted to show them, you see, the same way that I spoke to the winds and the waves out there, I'm not going to be with you forever. I'm going to go back and be with my father. And, yes, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to live in you and, and empower you. But physically, I'm not going to be right here every time a storm pops up in your life. But most of the storms that pop up in your life aren't going to be out there. The majority are going to be in here and in here. And I want to show you how to speak to the storm. Here's why I believe this. Because in the book of James 1, 6, it says this. It says, but when you ask, talking about going to God in faith, it says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Why? Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. What is doubt like? It's like that storm on the Sea of Galilee. And it's in here. It's not out there. And far more storms that I face come right here and right here than they ever come out here. And so Jesus is teaching him to speak to the storm. You can have peace. That storm can silence in your heart and in your mind. So, so here's what I recommend for you very quickly. We're almost done. I got five very, very quick tips I'm going to give you. What do you do when a storm comes up? This is what I'm trying to practice and, and, and put into play in my own life, and I want to give these to you today. The, the first thing, when a storm rises up, man, when you feel that anxiety coming, when you feel that stress, whether it's traffic or work or family, whatever it is, number one, just breathe. Breathe. And I'm not trying to super spiritualize it. Breathe in the presence of God and breathe out. I'm just saying just take a deep breath, right? Like, like so many times, 
we just, our heart starts racing and we start getting fired up. And as cliche as it may sound, just taking that deep breath is going to calm our body, calm our mind for just a second. So just take a breath, number one. Second thing you need to do is remember. Remember who God is. Remember what he's promised in your life. And remember how he's moved in your life in the past. See, remember how he's demonstrated his goodness. If I would have started there when my mom called me about my uncle, that conversation would have went a different direction for both for her and for me. My first thing would have been like, no, mom, let's remember the ways that, that God's healed in the past. Remember the way that God's moved in your family's life. We're, he, he, we're not going to believe that he's going to be dead tomorrow. Man, you're going to see him tomorrow. He's going to be okay. If I could have took that stand up front, it would have helped her out so much, and it would have helped me out so much. It, obviously, Rod didn't need it because God was already at work in Rod's life, but it would have helped us in our storm, right? So breathe, remember. After you remember, now ask. Ask. Go before God boldly. It says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. So go before him boldly. Tell him what you need. Whatever the disciples doing, Jesus, help. Sometimes that may be all you can articulate, just Jesus, help. I just need your help right now, God. I need you to move in this situation. The more specific you can get, I think the better. But go to him and ask, and he'll answer faithfully. Once you've asked, here's the thing that I'm trying to do. This isn't something I was taught to do growing up or I've done very often. There's other ones I've done. Here's what I'm trying to incorporate now is, is now visualize. Visualize that answer prayer because I, I think it's going to help you to, to, to build that faith because I think so many times I pray something, and deep down I don't even believe it's going to happen. And so what did, what did James say? He said, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wind tossed by the sea, the wind and the waves. And so visualize, you know what, I've got this answer to prayer. Me and Rod's getting out of the hospital. He's going home okay. And see that. And, and say, okay, God, I believe that this can happen. I believe you are capable, and this is going to happen. Visualize him at work in your life. Visualize that, God, even if this doesn't go the way I'm asking for it to, I know that you're, there's something that you're up to, and I trust you in the midst of this storm. And then finally, E, er, five, number five, elevate. Elevate. Here, here's something for the science nerds in the house, the physics nerds. The, as elevation increases, atmospheric pressure decreases. And I believe that the physical world is simply just an illustration of the spiritual world. I think God created the physical world to teach us stuff about the spiritual world. So I think as we elevate our thoughts and elevate our minds, the pressure is going to decrease. What's the best way to elevate? Man, is just to worship. God, you're good. I love you. I praise you. As I lift up his praises, my anxiety goes down. As I lift up his name, my nervousness goes down. As I lift up the name of Jesus, as I glorify my God, the pressures and the stress and the anxiety of life isn't so big, such a big deal anymore in my life. So here's what I want to show you as we, as we wrap up. I know you can't see it, but you'll have to take my word for it. But I've got the cheat sheet on both of my hands today. I've got five words on each of my hands. We had two sets of five points, right? So, so on this hand over here, on my left hand, we had the first set, which was the five things, what? The five ways we cause storms in our own life. With words, having the wrong approach, listening to the wrong voices, having wrong expectations, and allowing shame in our life, right? Those, those five words are written on this hand over here. And then on this hand over here, I've got the five words that we just went over. I don't know if you noticed, by the way, this spells something. What did that one spell? Anybody get it? it spells waves. Yep, the first five spells waves. W-A-V-E-S. How, how do we cause storms in our life? We bring our own waves. So the second five, Teresa already gave you the answer. She already stole my thunder, right? It spells brave. How? What, what does it spell? The first thing we do is breathe. Second thing we do is we remember. 
Third thing we do is we ask. Fourth thing we do is we visualize. Fifth thing we do is we elevate. And here's what I want you to see. In fact, uh, Brayden, come up here. I need your help for a second. You stand right here. I need you to hold the microphone. You didn't know God was calling you to be a mic stand, did you? All right, hold it right, right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so, so the waves of life come against me, right? They're going to come against me. By the way, that's why the Ephesians chapter 6 says put on the full armor of God. Why? Because there's going to be a battle coming. So many times we get thrown off because we're not expecting any resistance. We're not expecting any struggles. And something just blindsides us out of the blue. The word of God says be prepared. There's an enemy who wants to mess things up for you. So put on the full armor of God, man. Strap on the helmet of salvation. Take up the shield of faith. Put on the the belt of truth. And so the waves are going to come. I'm sorry to tell you, City Church, there's going to be waves. There's going to be a storm this week in your life. It's going to happen. Maybe it's going to be a big storm. Maybe it's going to be a little storm. But there's going to be a storm coming this way at you. But I believe that God has enabled you to respond to that storm, to come back at that storm with this hand, right? He's given you a way to be brave. He's given you a way to stand up against it. Why? Because he says, be anxious about nothing. He doesn't tell me to be anxious about nothing unless it's possible for me to be anxious about nothing. So now I get to come back against it. And what happens? When I push back against it, what happens? I bring up a praise. You know the Bible says that clapping your hands is a form of praise? Come on. I got like six people clapping. There's more people in here that can clap. Come on. Praise God, praise God. Hold the mic for 30 more seconds, Brayden. We got to get some more people. We got to get some more people to get it. I'm going to push back my brave against the waves of my life. And when we push back our brave against the waves, give it up for Brayden. Come on. Thank you. Add Mike Holder into your resume, right? As I push my brave back against the waves of life, what happens, man? The best way for me to do that is to elevate is to worship him, is to bring up a praise. And as I do that, that anxiety goes down, that stress goes down, that heart rate goes down, that blood pressure goes down, right? Because God's calling us to be brave, not just in huge, huge things, but just in the little things that we face every day. He says, if you're faithful in the little things, I'll make you Lord of a much. It's the small things in life that trip up God's people so many times more than the big things. Let's deal with those small things. Let's deal with that anxiety. Let's deal with that stress. Amen? Amen. We're going to be anxious for nothing. In Jesus' name.